The psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated this morning. Two or three Saturdays ago, I guess now considering we had a Saturday yesterday... Uh, Alabama was scheduled to uh, have a night game, uh, and they were going to be uh, pinned up against uh, Mississippi State, the Bulldogs. And, of course, they have those ungodly cowbells that you have to deal with when you go to play there. Uh, but this, this, this kickoff was set for 8.15 p.m. You know, a Saturday night when you've got church the next morning, 8.15 is terrible time to kick off. But as, as most of you know, if you're a fan of college sports, uh, especially for your particular football team, like it doesn't matter when they kick off. If you're a fan, man, you're going to be glued in from kickoff until the zeros hit the clock, right? And so 8.15, we kick off, and, and this game's scheduled to be done somewhere around 11.15 and 11.30, unless the refs get really super happy with their flags, and the game just kind of prolongs. Well, the game ends in glorious fashion. Well, I guess not glorious fashion considering it's Alabama this year. But they did win 40-17, to 17, and I was very happy about that. And so it's about 11.30 or a little after 11.30, and uh, the game's done. And as the one uh, who typically goes to bed last in our household, um, I do kind of my nightly routine. And I go around uh, locking the door. I turn the TV off. And, of course, I cut off every light in the house. I mean, if there's one thing that dads can do, right, it's turn off light switches. Amen? Can I get an amen, dads out there? So I cut off the light switches, and I'm headed back to, uh, uh, to the bedroom, and I walk by uh, where my middle son, Zachary Grayson, is laying in the bed. It's once again 1130-ish past, and he is sitting there in his own world, glued into his tablet, just, uh, just enjoying himself. Now, this isn't Bible, this is just Morris, but we have a rule in our house that our boys can't be on their tablet um, during the week. And so they can only be on their tablets uh, over the weekend. And so, um, you know, Friday, night, uh, fr Friday afternoon after school, they come busting in that front door. And it's not, I love you, Dad, or I hope your week went well. It's, can I get my tablet? Uh, and so, so you, you, especially during uh, the warmer months, if we don't have school or whatever, like it, it, if you can see them on the weekends bouncing back and forth between their tablet and the swimming pool and back to their tablet. Now back to the story, it's 1130, uh, 11.30 past, and he is just glued in. He has got to have his brain cell frying cartoons. You know, he's, he's got to soak in every possible second that he can uh, before the weekend is up. And so I come walking into the room and I tap him on the shoulder. And of course, he's, he jumps out of the bed scared to death, right? I mean, he was so immersed in his, his show that he was watching. He had no idea that I had even walked into the room. And so he jumps up and I said, Bubba, it is well past your bedtime and we've got church tomorrow. You need to take that iPad, turn it off and go put it up. Now, where we have uh, our iPads stored or our tablets stored is in a different place. They don't keep them in their bedroom. There's a central place in the living room where they go and they take them and they plug them up. That way they're ready for the next day of the weekend. Or um, if they've drained pawpaws, he can have it the next day. Uh, and so they, they have to go into the living room. And so, you know, I said, Bubba, you need to go and put your tablet up. And so I go on about what I'm doing. He walks out the door and almost immediately he comes walking back in. And I'm thinking in my mind, there is no way. There's no way you've done made it to the, to, to the living room already. And so I, I recognize, as I, those thoughts are kind of going through my mind, that, that there is a, an immense sense of, of, of fear and anxiety that is in the gaze of his eyes. I said, Bubba, I told you to go put your, your tablet up. And he looked at me, Dad, it's, it's dark. Do you remember, I turn off all the lights. 
it's dark and I'm scared, will you walk with me? And in that moment, I thought to myself, there's been many moments in my life where my disposition hasn't been that much different than my son. You see, in that moment, I had already turned off all the lights. And, and, and for him, the path from where we were to where he was supposed to go with his tablet was filled with darkness. For, here, for him, there was much fear and there was much anxiety from where we were in the light to the destination that, that he had to go to return his tablet. The destination was, was unknown and the unknown was really to him in that moment overwhelming. You guys know what it's like walking through the dark at night in a house. Like you hear every scene, a creaking of the house. You hear every sound. It seems like things are just amplified. And to him and his little mind, that fear was overwhelming. And the house was frightening. And to him in that moment, dad was his safety. And there have been many times in my life where I have needed the safety of my father just like my son did. You see, to use the language of this morning's passage, I was his shepherd in that moment. I was his provision in time of need. I was his guide through the dark shadows of uncertainty. I was his protector in, in what he assumed to be dangerous. And I was his comfort in the midst of his feelings of fear. He looked to me to lead him through the darkness, and then not only lead him through the darkness, but to bring him to safety and back into the light once again. I think the truth is that there have been many moments, many seasons in our life, many seasons in my life, where our disposition really wasn't that much different than his. You see, whether it be the anxiety of, of everyday management of our home, which can be totally fearful, the situations that we have at work or the responsibilities that we have forthcoming, whether it be the difficulty of the, the calls of ministry for me or, or stress due to an upcoming deadline or, or concern over making ends meet week to week or month to month. Maybe it's the, the fearful or anxious anticipation of what, what might happen in the future. What might disrupt the, 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 the plans that we have, or at least perceived plans that we've laid down. What might intervene with what, what we have in front of us. Perhaps it's difficulties with relationships, or it's a, a medical event, or, or a personal tragedy of some kind. Or, or maybe it's just a depressed, deep, dark night of the soul, mentally, or spiritually, or emotionally. There have been moments in our life where our demeanor was just like that. And sometimes it can seem as if, if we are drowning in, in the crashing waves or we are sinking in the, the shifting sand of, of, of life in all of its cares. And as it was for my son, I have, I have needed the faithful and, and compassionate and, and powerful hand of the shepherd. See, I, I have needed the shepherd to look into my eyes and to see that same fearful gaze that I saw in the eyes of my son. I needed him to sense the shakiness in my voice when I cried out, Daddy, will you walk with me? I've needed him to hear me and to walk with me. I be, may be so bold to presume this morning, I would guess that, that most of us, if not all of us, have, have found ourselves at different times throughout the course of our lives in similar situations. In fact, there may even be some here today who who are currently walking through a situation in which you, you, you are anxious and you are fearful and, and the, the sound in your voice is shaky and, and you're crying out, Father, will you walk with me? Here in the 23rd Psalm, the, the psalmist really paints so, so beautifully a resembling picture of the Lord towards his covenant people. David, with the, the richness, if you will, of, of poetic imagery that he so often writes with, he, he draws our attention to the Lord and he compels us to see him as in really two primary ways in this text. First, he wants us to see him as a shepherd of covenant sheep. And then secondly, he wants to see him as a, a host at a great banquet or a, a host of a great banquet. 
And so I want to begin this morning where David begins in this psalm, seeing the beauty and seeing the significance of the Lord as our shepherd. The Lord as our shepherd. David begins the psalm with those same words. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now often, and so rightfully so, when we think about the names of God, or when we, when we think about the titles of God in the scripture, they typically bring to mind that this great awe or this great wonder when we think about who he is and the works that he's done. In scripture, he's often called the mighty one or the almighty, the sovereign king. He's called the Lord of lords. And these, these titles tend to communicate the great wonder or grandeur, the glory, the majesty, and the power of God. Consider for just a moment the opening pages of scripture in Genesis chapter 1. What do we see? The title being given to God, that he is God, the creator of the universe. I mean, there is no more transcendent depiction of who God is than to be creator of the universe, than to attest to God that the, the, very, the very foundations or the formations of the foundations of the world and the, and the great splendors of the galaxy, everything that we have come to know and discover and everything that we have yet discover is attested to God in his power. That we cannot go to, to any length in the universe and not find the very presence and fingerprints of God visible. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is, the, this is who God is. And yet, yet of all the titles that the psalmist could have used to describe the grandeur and the glory of God, he doesn't use any of these. In the 23rd Psalm, David ascribes to the Lord the title of shepherd. Martin Luther, one of the, the leading influencers of the Protestant Reformation, he, he makes this note. He says, there are other names, and the other names sound somewhat too gloriously and majestically and bring, as it were, awe and fear with them when we hear them uttered. This is the, the case when the scriptures called God our Lord, King, Creator. This, however, is not the case with the sweet word, Shepherd. It brings to the godly when they read it and or hear it as it were a confidence. A consolation, a security like the word father. You see, the word often rendered shepherd in this text. It, it's, a, it's a participle of the Hebrew word communicating the idea of feed, keep, guide, or to govern. And so David is literally saying in this text that the Lord feeds. The Lord keeps, the Lord guides, the Lord governs, the Lord is shepherd. It's often understood also to communicate the idea of the Lord ruleth. In fact, many nations around the world often refer to the rulers that they have, the kings that they have that are good and gracious as being shepherds. But notice, if you will, that David compels us to see the Lord not just as a shepherd, but he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He wants us to see the Lord as our shepherd. You see, he's not just a shepherd, nor is he just a shepherd over God's people as a whole. He's not just a shepherd over the church as God's covenant people. David is not saying that he's a good shepherd just as long as the majority of God's people are well attended for. And if there's just a couple of them that, are, that aren't cared for too well, well, the over grand scheme of his shepherding, that still makes him a good shepherd. No, G, uh, David is taking the, the, the shepherding title of God and he is applying it on a personal way. The David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Yes, he is the sufficient shepherd over his people as a whole, but he is also a personal shepherd to every single one of his sheep. Brothers and sisters, this is good news for us as a whole. God is our shepherd, but this is good news for us on a personal level. The Lord is your shepherd. He cares for us as a whole, but he cares for you individually 
He knows the very hairs on your head. He knows the moment that you wake up in the morning, the moment you lay down at uh, at night. He is the one that shepherds you. He knows everything there is about you. He knows every moment of your life, every circumstance that you walk through, every situation you're pressed through. The Lord is shepherd. He knows, and he knows you personally. He doesn't just know us corporately. David says the Lord is my shepherd. The the personal connection between the Lord and David is is, is what denotes the very sweet beauty of this title that he has rendered to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, the, the Baptist prince of preachers of the 1800s, He wrote this, he says, what is this that the the infinite Lord assumes towards his people the office and the character of a shepherd? It should be the subject of grateful admiration that the God, this great God, allows himself to be compared to that which will set forth his great love and his care for his own people. In the same era, a guy named, a German theologian, Hingstenberg, he made this statement. He said, of all the figures that are applied to God in the Old Testament, that of shepherd is the most beautiful. I think we need to understand the context of of which, which David is writing this from. You see, David was one of, uh, 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 one who experienced some of life's highest highs and also experienced some of life's lowest lows. You see, on the one hand, David, he, he, he knew success perhaps in ways that many of us will never know. You see, David was, was a shepherd boy, and as a shepherd boy, he would go and he would kill the great warrior Goliath and then go on to lead the nation of Israel in victory over their enemies, the Philistines. Now, as a young man, that's, that's, that's pretty successful. Not only that, David as a young boy would be anointed king of the, the, the next king of the nation of Israel. That he would be the one who would inherit the kingdom. Not only that, would he inherit the kingdom, but he received the covenant promise from God that someone from his lineage would always remain on the throne of Israel. David knew what it meant to walk in success, to, to, to sense success. He knew what it meant to walk through some of life's highest highs. But he also was touched by the heartbreak of life's lowest lows. See, after being anointed king, he would really spend much of his, his immediate future on the run in the wilderness caves of Israel. And the current king of Israel would seek to take his life. David would also lose a child. And furthermore, the child that he had, his son, would would revolt against him, seek to take his life and to take over the kingdom from his dad. David knew what it meant to walk through the mountain and to traverse through the valley. You see, David, when he wrote this psalm toward the latter part of his life, what he's doing is he's looking back over the seasons of his life, the highs and the lows of his life, And he chooses a title for the Lord that he considered to be the best description of how the Lord had interacted with him. And how the Lord had seen him. And he writes for us this this depiction of the Lord, of how the Lord interacts and sees his people as a whole. Yes, God is creator. Yes, God is king. Yes, God is almighty. Yes, he is sovereign. David isn't denying any of those attributes or those titles here in this text. But what David is saying is that in all of my seasons, I have needed the Lord to be my shepherd. And indeed, the Lord is my shepherd. In all of the highs and lows, the triumphs and the tragedies, the Lord has been my shepherd. He is Fed me. He has been my guide. He has sustained me. He has chastened me with love. He has provided for me. He has governed my every fare. And through it all, he has cultivated his glory in my joy. The Lord has been my shepherd. And this is the truth that David wants us to grasp this morning. The truth is that the Lord delights in shepherding his people. You know, sometimes we, we might feel that our situations are just too much. 
that there's no way the Lord has time to deal with me. I am, I am such a burden. David says the Lord is shepherd. That he delights in shepherding his people. So because the Lord is our shepherd this morning, I want us to see a couple of things. One, this means that the Lord is our provision. The Lord is our provision. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now the context or the the language here is, yes, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. But he's also saying, I will lack nothing. That I will lack nothing that I need. that, that, That I have never lacked anything and I shall not want. Literally, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack what I need. Now, we might be looking at that statement and grasping the understanding and say, wait a minute. And what David is not saying, what he doesn't seek to convey in this statement is that the sheep of the Lord will never lack what they desire. There's many moments in our life where we desire this or that, and that's just not God's providence for us. That's not his plan for us. Nor does it suggest that there will not be seasons in our lives where needs, especially in our minds, seemingly insurmountable needs, will arise. However, what David is saying is that based upon my life's experience, In all of my highs and in all of my lows, the Lord has been to me a shepherd. And he has never, not once, withheld from me any need that has not served to satisfy and sustain me in every single season. He has always been to me exactly what I needed in every moment and in every situation. And therefore he can confidently write that that I shall neither now, nor have I been, nor will I at any future point in time lack what I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in every season and in every circumstance, the Lord is my provision. I think the Apostle Paul, he he understood this truth along with the psalmist David. He goes on to write to the Philippians of the church of Philippi during, during a time of personal need, And he states this, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, but I also know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Paul wasn't writing this, he wasn't making this this comment with with stoic wisdom that was somehow grounded in either either in ignorance of what was going on in his life or some some means of self-sufficiency. You see, Paul was not utterly reliant on himself, but he was utterly reliant on Christ. And Paul understood Christ to be the shepherd. And Paul understood Christ to be the one who would sustain him and who had sustained him in all of his circumstances. The Lord is our shepherd. He is our provision. Secondly, I want us to see that the Lord is our peace. The Lord is our peace. He goes on to write that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As we move on from verse 1 and into verses 2 and 3, David really begins to to give us the details regarding the the particular care of the great shepherd, the Lord. See, these green pastures literally signify pastures of green grass or or a cool resting place for sheep to to, to rest and and to graze and to feed until they were content. The term still waters, it communicates these these waters of rest or or a soothing pool, a a respite, if you will, from the parched conditions of the wilderness of Judah or the wilderness of Israel. You see, in Israel, there there are two rainy seasons a year from which which would come these these particular pastures of, of lush green grass for sheep to graze in. 
But surrounding these two seasons and surrounding these, these patches of green grass that would come from these raising cities would, would predominantly be dry conditions of wilderness drought. In fact, shepherds would, would, would often lead their sheep through rough and dry and difficult terrains, the terrains of the wilderness, for the sake of bringing them, leading them into these fields of green pastures and where these still waters of rest would be found. Here's the imagery that the psalmist David is, is conjuring up for us in this passage. He wants us to perceive that the Lord our shepherd is actively and graciously leading us out of the wilderness of exhaustion. He's leading out of, us out of the, the, the wilderness of drought and anxiety and fear and weariness. And he's leading us into the safe harbor of the green pastures and the still waters of rest and peace. There was a customary procedure in in, in this particular time where, where shepherds in Israel, that they would reach these places of, of, of green pastures and, and still waters. And they would literally just camp out. They would, they would literally, at, at about 12 o'clock, they would let their, their sheep just go and rest for several hours. Like feed, graze, rest, be, be strengthened. And they would come back later that afternoon, somewhere around 4 o'clock or early evening, in order to gather them back up into the harbor of their safe pens for the evening. But they would do that for the restoration of their sheep. And what David is saying is that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's always been faithful to do such for the sake of the restoration of my soul. He restores my soul. See, this word carries the idea of, of being refreshed or, 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 or being revived. It literally can be translated to breathe life or vitality back into something. When he says he restores my soul, he's saying that the good shepherd leads me in such a way that I come into a place where my soul has had life and vitality breathed back into it. Brothers and sisters, understand that it is a great pleasure for the Lord to shepherd his people to green pastures and to still water. Shepherds spent their entire livelihood leading their sheep to these places. It was their joy to lead them to these places, to bring them to these places. And it is a delight of our good shepherd to restore our souls, to breathe back into us life and vitality. He is my shepherd. He is, he is my provision. He is my peace. He restores my soul. Moving on in our text, we'll notice also that the Lord is our path. The Lord is our path. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. The paths here in which God leads his sheep, it's, it's their lives' basic moral direction towards righteousness. You could say it's the, the shaping of the, the shepherd's own character, his own revealed character in the lives of those whom he leads. Now these paths aren't always easy and they're most certainly not always straight, but they are always good and they are always gracious. So I don't think that the, 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 the tone of the psalmist here, I don't think it should be lost on us. The path of righteousness isn't seen as a, as a burdensome list of do's and don'ts, but it's a, it's, a, it's a blessed trajectory toward life and joy. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness. The shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness and these paths, according to the tone of David, they are for my good. The Lord leads his covenant sheep on paths of, of holiness towards God. Paths of, of uprightness and, and justice towards men. Paths of, of providence for, for our purification and for our preservation in the faith and for, for the peace 
of his people. But notice only that, that these paths are for David's good. But, he, but he's very clear to say that they are for his name's sake. So they're for David's good, but they're also for the Lord's glory, and, and predominantly so. Primarily, they are for the Lord's glory. See, the Lord leads David down good paths of righteousness in order to, to preserve his own reputation. His own reputation of being true to his revealed character and also to his proclaimed promises. Shepherds lead, they don't push. And in leading, they provide the example to the sheep of where to go and where to walk. The same thing for us, our good shepherd, he is leading us down paths of righteousness so that his revealed character is formed in our lives. And he's doing it in such a way faithfully so that no one can make the accusation against the shepherd that he's been unfaithful to his sheep. That he's been unfaithful to keep his promises. And so he's leading the sheep in such a way that our character becomes his character and his promises become our hope. He says, for his name's sake. You see, God being for his glory primarily may for some of us kind of put a bad taste in our mouth. First of all, if God was for someone, others, someone else's glory, then he would cease to be God. We would might as well worship whomever it is that he's seeking the glory of and not him if he sought someone else's glory other than his own. But God seeking his glory isn't bad for us. This is good for us. This is great for us. You see, God's work for our good, it, 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 it comes from a commitment to work for his own glory. You see, the Lord intends to fulfill his commitment to shepherd his covenant sheep. He intends to fill his commitment to faithfully and sufficiently care for his sheep as a reflection of his own character and a reflection of his own promise keeping. The Apostle Paul, I think, knew this commitment as well. He confidently stated to the church in Philippi, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will fail to complete it. No, that's not what he said. He said, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, we need to understand this this morning. God was so committed. He, he was so committed. This chair is like being crazy. I know, what, I know what Cody deals with now. I'm going to stand up. God was so committed to shepherding us for the sake of his name down paths of righteousness. He was so committed to leading his covenant sheep down paths of righteousness for his glory and for their joy that he sent the son of righteousness, Jesus Christ, to live righteousness for us. Not only did he send him to live a life of righteousness, Hebrews says that, that he was literally tempted in every way as we are, but yet he was without sin. He, he lived this life of righteous obedience, in obedience even unto death, death upon a cross. In so doing, his life of righteousness and his righteous death, it satisfied the wrath of God towards our sin and it atoned for our sin towards God. And then in rising from the grave, the lamb who was slain unrighteously for the sins of the world was also gloriously and triumphantly raised from the dead. That's why we can sing the songs that we sang this morning with great hope because Christ didn't stay dead. The shepherd, the lamb who was slain for our sins didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. And now he stands to lead us in paths of righteousness. He calls us to hear his voice. He calls us to, to follow after him in paths of righteousness for his glory and for our joy.
See, the Lord, the good shepherd, not only leads us in paths of righteousness, he pioneered the path of righteousness. And not only did he pioneer a path that we couldn't walk down, he clothed us in his righteousness so that the guarantee of his glory and our joy that is down the path of righteousness wouldn't rest in righteousness of our own, it would rest in his righteousness alone. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, my, my favorite verse in all of scripture so beautifully paints this, this picture. It says that he, God, made him Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we, the sinner, might become the righteousness of God. Christ pioneered the path of righteousness as the son of righteousness. And he clothed us in his righteousness so that we could walk down the path of righteousness for his glory and for the culmination of our joy. Our shepherd he is our provision. He is, he is our peace. He is our path. And then verse 4, he is our protection. He is our protection. David writes in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Now scholars seem to debate on the, the specific meaning of David's intentions here when he uses these words, the valley of the shadow of death. Some attest that David intends to mean death itself, and yet others would say no, he doesn't say death itself, he says the shadow of death, and so it's not death itself, it's, it's simply the shadows of death. Really don't think that we have to choose here. I think both are probably in mind and both are probably completely applicable to what David is intending here. You see, in the wilderness valleys of Judah, shepherds and their sheep, they, they would often encounter these, these deep, dark shadows along their journey. And, and they, they could not know for sure what or who was around the corner. Whether it be bandits or, or wild animals or, or flash floods that would come swooping through the valley and, and bring danger to them and their flock. They, they literally did not know what was around them or what, what, what was waiting for them that lurked among the shadows of the darkness. I think in life, we as the Lord's sheep, we will be faced with deep, dark shadows of our own. If you'll notice the, the wording here, David says, even though I walk. Not if I walk or if it becomes a possibility if I walk, but I will walk through shadows. And we will walk through shadows. In fact, James tells us that we will meet trials of various kinds. Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as if something strange were happening to you. That we should expect to walk through valleys of the shadow of death. And whether it be the pain of death itself or, or the, the plagues experienced from the effects of a, of a sinful and broken world, whether it be persecution, especially in our world today, for the sake of Christ and standing up for the truth, or, or maybe it's just simply a call to persevere through the, the bitter, dark clouds of God's providence, David says that even in such periods of suspense and danger and anxiety and fear, the faithful find assurance that God is with them. That with his, his rod and with his staff, he is actively and faithfully and sufficiently leading us to safety. And so we need not fear, not because the situations around us aren't dire and fearful, but we need not fear because the one who is in control of those situations is faithful. He's faithful. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. This truth is what drives Paul in Romans chapter 8 to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He goes on to write that who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or or persecution or famine or, or nakedness or danger or sword? No, he says. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him. He's loved us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Previously, in that same chapter, he writes, I consider that the sufferings, the shadows, the valleys of darkness in our lives, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That our situation here does not have the final word Christ does. The Lord is our protection. But I want us to understand that this isn't just some protection for the future. This is protection in the present. You see, he's a comfort for our souls in the midst of of dark providence. And he's he's a guide through, through dark, deep shadows of our days in the present. But thanks be to God, it is also for the future. That there is coming a day where there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain and there will be no more death because the good shepherd conquered death, hell, and the grave. So our shepherd is, is, he's our provision. He's our peace and our path and our protection. And I, I think we just need to anchor on to that this morning. Because there's gonna be moments if there hasn't been, there will be. Moments in your life where you need the shepherding hand of God. Now he, 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 he spends the next verse in verse 5 kind of shifting his imagery from shepherd to a great host. For the sake of time this morning, I'm going to go ahead and give you both of those statements. When we see David see the Lord as a host, I think that he means this, that the Lord is our bounty... And the Lord is our victory. The Lord is our bounty and the Lord is our victory. He writes in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now if we consider the atmosphere and the venue of what David's describing here, the context here is the Lord has, has, has become this host of, 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 of a great banquet and he, is, he has opened his kingly banquet hall and prepared for his guests a glorious feast. Now we're Baptists and this should make us happy, okay? This is a kind of a church dinner on the grounds kind of feast. This isn't just some, some small meal, okay? He's brought out the fine china. He's brought out every fixing that we need. Yes, there will be yams and hams and beans and greens and you name it. All right, there's going to be things here. This is a grand feast. This isn't just some small meal. It's a grand overflow of the heavenly resources of God on display on this table. It's the Lord's infinite bounty on display. David is describing that that there will be no shortage of enjoyment. There's not going to be any skimping here at this feast. The guest is going to be immersed in the good graces of God. Now secondly, and this, this should be comforting to us, David envisions himself as the invited guest to this feast. That he is a member of God's covenant people and therefore the invitation to God's bountiful banquet, it belongs to David. He is the one that's been anointed with oil. This, This carries the idea not of ceremonial anointing, but it carries the idea of being an honored guest. He is the one that has been extended the invitation. He is the one that's been ushered in. He is the one whom a seat at the table has been prepared. He goes on to say that my cup overflows. I don't just have sufficient amount in my cup. It's it's overflowing with the finest wine. This table has been prepared for me. I am the guest. But notice lastly in this text that not only is there a great bounty, 
But he says he's prepared this table for me as a guest in the presence of my enemies. I am the one being honored by this great host. And he's not just honoring me in secret. He's putting me on display. He's honoring me in the presence of my enemies. You see, our enemies here, that they are powerless to prevent our enjoyment of God's generous hospitality. It's almost as if our enemies who sought to take us captive have been brought in as captives to watch our victory celebration. Brothers and sisters, one day this will be the picture. This will be the scene that every enemy will bow the knee and confess with their tongue that Christ is Lord and all of his covenant sheep will join him in a feast and our enemies will have to watch our victory celebration. The Lord is our bounty. The Lord is our victory. You see, when David perceives how the Lord interacts and sees his people, his covenant sheep and his covenant guests. And when David considers his own experience through all of his highs and all of his lows, he finishes this psalm with verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd is faithful and the the host is generous. And therefore, surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's the same picture that we saw two weeks ago in the book of Lamentations. That when I wake up each morning, the goodness and mercies of God, they are new, brand new, every morning, and they are chasing after me. When I go through my day, the goodness and the mercies of God, they are there ready to sustain me through my day. When I lay my head down at night, the goodness and mercies of God are still there to cover me. He is faithful, and his faithfulness knows no end. They shall follow me all the days of my life. The shepherd leads me and he's invited me as his host to sit at his table. And therefore I, for all of eternity, will sit at his table in his house forever. So let's close this morning. Let's close with this consideration. You see, in our world today, there are many shepherds vying for our attention. Pulling for our attention. These these false shepherds, they, they, they pull on the strings of our hearts and they play with our emotions and they prey upon our desires. Many shepherds, they, they promise provision and they promise peace and they, they promise a path for satisfaction and joy and they promise our protection and even some bountiful victories. But brothers and sisters, listen to me just as it was in the Garden of Eden. Just as it's been through the course of history, it is the same today. All of these shepherds, they over-promise and they under-deliver. They promise and they come to us with promises of great blessing, and yet they only bring great burdens. I understand that there are times in our seasons, even Moses says, that sin can be fun for a season. And there are moments in our life where we are walking through valleys of the shadow of death, and those pastures seem greener on the other side. But as the saying goes, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Don't succumb to the pool of false shepherds. Anchor yourself in the faithful hand of the one that died for you and has committed himself as a faithful shepherd and as a host to pursue you with goodness and mercy for all of your days. You see, in the words of Christ, the good shepherd, he says, we have a thief. A spiritual enemy, Satan, and those who are influenced by him that that seek to, to steal and kill and destroy. But he says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So listen to me this morning. Despite who you are, 
And despite where you might be today, the good shepherd delights in leading sheep. And through Christ, he has, he's extended an invitation for you to come and pull up a chair at his table. He has invited you to walk through the work of Christ and see that he is a Lord that is provision, that is peace, that is a path, that is protection, that is true bounty, that is true satisfaction, that is true victory, that is true joy. He says, come, follow me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation for you this morning is come, for he cares for you. He has come after you. Respond to the good shepherd. For those of us who belong to Christ, he is your shepherd. He cares for you. Cast your cares upon him. For he cares for you. You're not a burden. He delights in you. And he desires to be to you a faithful shepherd and a great host. May we together know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his and we are the sheep of his May we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And may we give thanks to him and bless his name. Because the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness is to all generations. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church. And we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.